back through it again. And um, they say that uh, the best way to learn something is through repetition. Amen. That's the way it works. That's the way it works. You just repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, and eventually you learn it. So we're going to repeat it tonight, and hopefully somebody will learn it. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone. I want you to say everyone. everyone. Now I want everyone to say everyone. everyone. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth unto him that knocketh it shall be opened. Amen. God help us tonight. God to help us tonight Amen. to rid ourselves of everything that hinders our prayers. Right. Amen. Amen. And I'm going to tell you that, that tonight, this sixth hindrance is, in my opinion, the most prevalent of all in Pentecost today. Now, the sad thing is, there was a day in Pentecost it was probably the least prevalent. There was a day in Pentecost when a message like I'm going to preach tonight was really uh, not nearly as necessary as it is now. But I'm telling you, I believe this is the besetting sin in the apostolic ranks today. Well, that ought to set the stage. Hallelujah. Unanswered prayer part six. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's lift our voices. Lift our hands. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us tonight, everybody. Let's talk to the Lord together. service tonight. I pray God that the word of the Lord could have free course in this service. I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, speak to our hearts tonight in the pages of your word. God, I love you. I thank you. God, I praise you tonight. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let's, let's worship the Lord for just a few moments, can we, everybody? Let's worship the Lord. Come on. Come on. Let's worship the Lord. Praise God, praise God. Come on, everybody, let's worship the Lord. Oh, we need you, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. How we are tonight in the midst of a spiritual war not just in this service but we are in the midst of a spiritual war and as we increase our efforts the enemy increases his 
I'm going to tell you tonight that I have no doubt I am going to struggle to deliver the burden of my heart. And so I am calling on the good saints of God tonight to get in the spirit. Push past your tiredness. Push past whatever else is in your mind tonight. And let's let God have his way tonight. Would you do that? Would you help me tonight? Could, could, I get, could I get a handful of you tonight that will just make up in your mind, you're not going to go with the flow, but when you feel things start to get tight, you're going to just start worshiping that much more. You're going to start praying that much more, and we're going to break through it before we get finished tonight. Hallelujah. Well, you know, I hope everybody that clapped their hands is going to help me. But I know people, and I know some of you are going to go with the flow. Uh, you're going to feel the resistance and decide you're too tired to fight it. But I need a few. If I can get a few. If I can get a few. Amen. A threefold cord is not easily broken. That's what the Bible says. All right. God bless you. You may be seated uh, because of time constraints. I, I want to just very quickly hit some things here by way of review. Just to remind you that Jesus said, if you ask it, shall be given you. If you seek, you shall find. And if you knock, it shall be opened. And then he said, everyone that asks receives. Everyone that asks receives. Amen. And yet we know there are times we have asked and not received. And we also know that God cannot lie. And so we search the scripture line upon line, precept upon precept, until we find out some things that can hinder our prayers and keep us from getting the answer we need to get. But I want, I want to stress to you tonight, as we bring this series to a close, I want to stress to you tonight, it is God's will to answer your prayers. It is the will of God that your prayers be answered. It is the will of God that your prayers be answered. It's the will of God. It's, I rebuke that lie that, that says amen, that God does not want to answer prayer for his people. God does want to answer prayer for us. He does want to answer prayer for us. Amen. He takes great delight in answering the prayers of his people. But there are things that will keep us from getting our prayers answered. We've talked about what they were. First of all, James said, you have not because you ask not. That was number one. The second one, James said, you ask and receive not because you ask Amiss. You're asking carnally. You're trying to get things that will please the flesh rather than the things that please the spirit. The third thing, James said, is that God resisteth the proud. And so pride stays in our way and keeps us from getting our prayers answered. Hallelujah. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. God hates a proud look. Yes. Yes. 
I, I hit that one and I stress that one because, again, there was a time in Pentecost you didn't have to preach a whole lot about pride. Because there was a time in Pentecost when most Pentecostals didn't have anything to be proud of. Well, hallelujah. But times have changed. And we have a lot more. And as a result, we have more pride. But pride's killing us. Spiritually, it's killing us. Hallelujah. The fourth problem that we have, amen, the psalmist told us, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And so if I know that there are things in my heart that God's not pleased with and I'm not doing anything about it, then just write it off. Your prayers are not going to get answered. God wants you to deal with those issues first and then come talk to him about the other things you'd like for him to do. Get those things taken care of. And then last week we talked about the fifth reason, and that is strife within the family. Family strife. Husbands, wives, parents, children. Uh, these things create a problem. And the Apostle Peter said, uh, you got to fix this that your prayers be not hindered. There is a hindrance to your prayer when you've got problems in the home. And you need to fix that. You need to work on that. Amen. Because your home is supposed to be a type of the church. Amen. Your relationship with your spouse. The husband's supposed to uh, represent Jesus Christ. The wife is supposed to represent the church. The father's supposed to represent God. The children represent the converts. This, there is typology in the home. And we don't want to break that type. And when we break the type, it creates a problem and our prayers then go unanswered. Amen. So those are the five things we've discussed so far. I want to talk about just one more tonight. And I'm going to try to, to, uh, I'm going to, try to do this as quickly as I can. But I'm not in a huge hurry and I hope that you're not either. Amen. This is, as I said, I think, I think. The most common of all the hindrances to our prayers getting answered. I think it is the most common. Matthew chapter 17 tells the story of a man who brings his son to the disciples. His son is devil possessed. The man brings the son to the disciples and the disciples try to cast the devil out and they cannot. And finally the son is brought to Jesus and Jesus casts him out. And so the disciples come to the Lord with a question. Verses 19 and 20, let's read Matthew 17 verses 19 and 20. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? Why? Why couldn't we do that? You made it look so easy. Why couldn't we do that? Read. And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. The answer is really quite simple. 
This is the answer. You want to know why you couldn't do it? You didn't believe it. It's as simple as that. It is because of your unbelief. Oh, hallelujah. Read. All right. Now look, the word verily means truly. Jesus said, for truly I tell you. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed. If you've got faith as a grain of mustard seed. You shall say into this mountain. You shall say to this mountain. Remove hence to yonder, remove hence to yonder place. And it shall remove. And it shall remove. And nothing shall and, unto you. And nothing. Church, I'm going to tell you something. There is not a person under the sound of my voice that doesn't have mustard seed faith. If you didn't have faith that big, you wouldn't be in church tonight. And Jesus said the faith you've got right now can move mountains. Well, did he say it or didn't he? Yes, he did. Amen. Come on. See, I knew somebody would just go with the flow tonight. I knew that was going to happen. Did he say it or didn't he? He said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove. Now, did the disciples have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed? Sure they did. Well, when they spoke to that demon, it didn't remove. Why? Jesus said, because of your unbelief. You see, the question is not how much faith you've got. That's why I heard a preacher say one time, I don't like that song, faith, 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 just a little bit of faith. You don't need a whole lot. Just use what you got. He said, I don't like that. We need a lot of faith. Well, we do need a lot of faith. But I'm telling you, it doesn't require a lot of faith to see a lot of results. The problem is not our lack of faith. The problem is we've got too much unbelief. The unbelief is outweighing our faith. There's a lot more that we do not believe God for than what we do believe God for. Now we believe, we believe that when we get baptized in Jesus' name, our sins are remitted. We believe that. We believe that if we are, uh, if we've repented and we're baptized in Jesus' name and we're full of the Holy Ghost and we live a holy life, that when we die, we're going to go to, to heaven, to a place with streets of gold, amen, with mansions, with gates of pearl, walls of jasper. We believe that. We believe that. We've got faith. Problem is, there's a whole lot more we don't believe. Right. 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 Come on. 
See, this is, this is typical, typical. I heard somebody somewhere sometime calling off the distance, you know, between the sun and the earth. I mean, just rattling off these numbers, how many light years away it was. And how many stars we know of that are in our galaxy. And everybody said, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, you believe all that. But you walk by a sign that says wet paint, and what do you do? Right. right. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, there is something that we need to understand. Our problem is not a lack of faith. Our problem is an abundance of unbelief. If we can do something about the unbelief, we've got enough faith to turn this city upside down. If we can do something about the unbelief, we can walk into the hospital and empty it out. If we can just deal with our unbelief. We believe God can heal. We don't believe God will heal. We got faith. But we're weighted down with unbelief. Hallelujah. Now let me tell you something, church. I said when I started, and, and I don't know if any of you have put two and two together yet, but, but in my introductory remarks, I said, I believe this is the besetting sin Some of you had not put two and two together yet. Oh, wait a minute, he just called unbelief a sin. Let me show you something. I want to show you that unbelief, unbelief is not just something we struggle with. Mark chapter 16 and verse 14. Now, now listen, this is, this is Jesus after the resurrection. Listen, Mark 16, 14. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven. He appeared to the eleven. Jesus they, appeared to the eleven. They sat at meat. Uh-huh. And upbraided them. And, and what? Upbraided them with their unbelief, with their unbelief and, hardness and hardness of heart, because they believed, because they they believed not them which had seen him. Now he upbraided them. Everyone say upbraid. That's kind of you know we don't use that word in modern English, and so I need to clarify it for you a little bit. The word upbraid means to chide. It means to rail at. It means to taunt. The Amplified Bible says, He reproved and reproached them for their unbelief. The Complete Apostles Bible says, He rebuked their unbelief. He rebuked 
their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe. The Bible in basic English said, he said sharp words to them because they had no faith and their heart was hard. The contemporary English version says, he scolded them because they were too stubborn to believe. God's word translation says, he put them to shame for their unbelief and because they were too stubborn to believe. Now let me ask you a question. Why would God in flesh chide or scold or rebuke somebody just because they didn't believe? That's strong terminology. That's some pretty strong language. Jesus didn't say, oh, you poor thing struggling with your faith. He scolded them. He rebuked them for not believing. Now why? Why did he do this? Well, we, we, want to, we, we want to see this. We want to understand this. Um, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Read. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Whoa, wait a minute. Lest there be in any of you what kind of heart? A what? An evil heart of lust, of adultery. Of murder? He said unbelief is evil. It's evil. Brother Merriman, we we have come to the place in Pentecost. We just think, well, I'm really struggling with my faith. No, you got an evil heart. You need to pray until God takes that out of you. God, I do believe, but I need you to get rid of my unbelief. (laughs) Hallelujah. In fact, in fact, in this very story, and I, I didn't put this into the notes at this point, but in this very story, when the man brought his son to Jesus, do you remember the conversation that took place? Do you remember what went on when the man came and he said, Lord, if thou canst do anything, touch my son. And Jesus said, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And the man responded, Lord, I believe. But it didn't stop there, did he? What else did he say? Help my unbelief. God, I know somewhere down in this heart there's some faith, but I also know it's clouded by a bunch of doubt, by a bunch of unbelief. I need you to get that out of me. I need you to take that out of me. God, if you'll take the unbelief out, we're about to see a miracle. Why shouldn't there be some unbelief? Come on, come on. The disciples had just tried to cast the boy out and couldn't. Isn't that why most of you doubt it when you come down for prayer? Because you've come for prayer before and it didn't work. Let's be honest. You've been anointed with oil before and went right back to your pew still sick. 
So we got it in our mind. It's not going to work. Oh, hallelujah. And I'm telling you, that was the same situation with this man. The disciples tried and could not do it. I don't know how many times. I don't know how many different ones of the disciples went to him and said, I rebuke you. I command you to come out. And nothing moved. And nothing changed. I wonder if each one of them said, let me have my, let me try it. I wonder if there was 12 different times they tried to cast it out and nobody succeeded. Don't you think you'd have a little bit of doubt in your mind too? But here's the difference. This man admitted, Lord, I do believe. If I didn't believe, I wouldn't have come here in the first place. But I also know and recognize and confess that in spite of my belief, there is some unbelief down here. And I know you got to deal with that first. But if you can deal with that, if you can forgive me of that, if you can get rid of that, then you can find that grain of mustard seed that'll get me what I need. Unbelief is not just something we struggle with. It's evil in God's eyes. Why? Why is unbelief evil? Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. Wait. It was what? It was, it was what? Impossible. impossible for what? Do you believe the Bible? Does the Bible tell the truth? It is impossible. I'm going to say impossible. And there aren't very many things the Bible calls impossible, but this is one of the few. It is impossible. For God to lie. What is unbelief? Unbelief is calling God a liar. No, I know you don't want to take it that way. But if the Bible says, is any sick among you? In fact, put James 5 and 14 up here. It's not in the list, but, but get on it quickly. James 5 and 14. Hallelujah, praise God. Is any sick among you? Let him call for those of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15, and the prayer of faith. And the prayer of faith. Now, is God going to tell the truth or not? Yes, sir. Did God lie to us? But when you don't believe it's going to happen, you're calling God a liar. Brother David, if, if I ask you to stand up, would you stand up? Now, now you, you tell me yes, but if I stand here and say, you know, I'm not real sure that you would stand up. How would you feel about that? Would that be offensive? If, if you tell me that you're going to do something and then I question whether or not you're going to keep your word. That's, that's pretty offensive. 
I, if, if I tell somebody, look, I'm coming, I'll be there. And they say, well, I don't really know if he will or not. Well, it all depends on whether or not it's his will to come. Now, what did you just say? You just said that I'm going to sit down and decide whether I want to keep my word or not. And that's the same thing you're accusing God of. When you come down for prayer and say, I don't know if it's God's will for him to heal me or not. What you just said was, God, you're just going to sit there and decide whether you want to honor your word or you don't. Is it his will to honor his word? He wouldn't have put it there if he didn't plan on honoring it. It's impossible for God to lie. I'm telling you, the only reason this doesn't work is not because of the will of God. It's because of your unbelief. It's God's will to heal you. It's God's will to deliver you. It's God's will to answer your prayer. But we struggle. We fight against an evil heart that's full of unbelief. The prayer of faith. The prayer of faith. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. Say, oh, but you don't know what I've done. Well, he put that in the verse 2, didn't he? And if they have committed any sins, they shall be for You don't have one excuse, honey, except your unbelief. It's because there's something in your life. You're not as spiritual as you need to be. You're not just, no, no. You just don't believe God. I know I'm coming down hard tonight, but what what is it going to take, church? What is it going to take for us to realize we got to get beyond this unbelief? We got to get beyond this doubt. We got to pray our way through it. I want you to hate doubt. I don't want you to excuse it. I want you to hate it. Who are we to dare to question whether God would keep his word? Now, why, why is it you believe that when you're baptized in Jesus' name, your sins are remitted? Why do you believe that? Because God said that in his word, didn't he? And you believe what God said in his word. Sometimes. Sometimes. But sometimes we don't. Sometimes, by our actions and our attitudes, we call God a liar. Now look, this is serious business, church. Jesus said that the devil is a liar and the father of all lies. All lies. 
The Santa Claus lie, the Easter Bunny lie. The I was honest on my taxes lie. The I was honest in my tithing lie. The I love you brother when really I can't stand you lie. The devil is the father of all lies. So when you accuse God of lying, that's pretty dangerous territory. You know, I'm telling you that we ought to reach a place that we believe God that when we ask it, it's going to happen. He said, ask and you shall receive. Now, he said it. He meant it. He will honor it if we'll get rid of the hindrances. The problem is not God. And that's what we want to do. Well, if it's his will. All you're doing is throwing it back on God's shoulders. If it wasn't his will, he would not have said it. In fact, let me just teach you something here. This is very, very simple. Would you like to know what God's will is? Right here. This is it. This is God's will. If it's stated in this book, it's God's will. James 5, 14 and 15 is stated in this book. Therefore, it is God's will. It is God's will. Now, you know, I, I could, and, and I may, I, I told you that if the Lord allows once revival's over, I may do some more teaching on prayer. And I may get into some of this because I know some of you think, well, if it's always God's will to heal, then we never die. But there's something else that God said in his book and that it is, is that is, it is appointed unto man once to die. So death is his will. But if this is not the sickness that is unto death, then quit saying it's not God's will. I want to tell you, when the apostle Paul prayed for, for the removal of his thorn in the flesh, he prayed for God to take it away. He didn't say, I can't pray in God. I just don't know if it's your will or not. He asked God to take it until God finally responded, my grace is sufficient. And until God says no, we should believe the answer is yes. Our problem is we believe it's no, hoping that one day God will eventually say yes. But we start out with the premise that it's no. That's not the way we ought to approach prayer. We ought to be approaching it in faith. Well, I've gotten a little bit off of my notes, but I feel it nonetheless. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. I'm telling you, God is true. Every man is a liar. Romans 3 and 4. I'm, I'm trying to get through some of this. And at Revelation 21 and 8, read, read this. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and... All right, now, now look, look. Everyone say abominable. abominable. That's people that... 
commit abominations. That's homosexuals. That's witches. Abom the abominable. And? Murderers. Murderers. Whoremongers. Whoremongers. People that, that give in to the lust of the flesh. And sorcerers. Sorcerers. That's witches. And idolaters. People that practice idolatry. And all liars. Shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second. Thing. But the first on the list, the fearful and second on the list. Now, why does a person have fear? You only have fear when you lack faith. If you've got faith, there's nothing to be afraid of. You're only afraid when you don't have faith. You pace the floor. You bite your fingernails to the quick. You pull your hair out. You cry your eyes out. Worried about what's going to happen. Why? Because you don't have faith. If you had faith that God was going to come through, would you lie awake and worry about it? No, if you had faith, you'd rest easy if you had faith. So the fearful, that is those who have no faith. And the unbelieving are going to the same hell as the abominable. Now, I didn't write this Bible. I know some of you are really giving me the stares right now. I didn't write this. I didn't make this up. This is in your Bible. The fearful and unbelieving are going to the same hell as the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and the liars. They're all going to the same place. Wouldn't it be sad? To be a one God, Jesus name, tongue talking, aisle running, hand clapping, foot stomping, holiness living, apostolic, and go to hell because you called God a liar? I don't want to be lost over my unbelief, but honey, it's an evil heart. It's an, I'm just telling you what the Bible said. It's an evil heart. You know what your prayer needs to be tomorrow morning when you get up and you start seeking God? You ought to be praying, God, above all else, get this unbelief out of me. I want to step into realms of faith that I've never known. I want to trust you. I know you don't lie. I know you're dependable. I know you're faithful. Get this unbelief out of me. Well, I don't know how much further we'll get in the notes, and I'm not really concerned about it because you get the point. You know, I've, I've talked a lot about the church I grew up in. Talked a lot about my old pastor who's now gone on to his reward. Got his shoes there in my office as a reminder. I need to 
pray and ask God to somehow let me fill those shoes. And I, I watched some amazing things happen in the ministry of that man. And I'm telling you, in our home church, and I'm not making this up, and you can ask anybody that was raised there, it's an absolute fact, that we saw miracles all the time. People were healed. I'm telling you, there, there, was, there was something that was going on in that place. When he prayed for somebody, it just happened. If they were a sinner and they came in wanting the Holy Ghost, he didn't have chronic seekers in his church. There was no such thing in his church. Now I'm telling you the truth. It just didn't happen there. He prayed for them and they got the Holy Ghost and they got the real thing. But I've seen the same man go in and preach the same sermons in other churches and pray for people and nothing happened. What's the difference? It wasn't Brother Davis's faith. It wasn't the message. Sure wasn't God. But I'm going to tell you something else that I saw in my home church. This, this, when I got there, my family moved there. This is not where I received the Holy Ghost, but, but we'd only been in the church about three years when my family moved to Dallas. And uh, we started attending Brother Davis's church. And this was going on when I got there. It, I, it, you know, I wish I could say I contributed to it, but it was, it was the way it was when I got there. I, I'm just telling you, there was something about it. If somebody needed prayer, or somebody was sick, or somebody was needing the Holy Ghost, this happened all the time. The folks in the church would spend time praying with them. They'd pray with them. They'd talk to them. If it was a sinner, for instance, they'd talk to them. They'd help them to, you know, get them to repent and, you know, get them to say all the right things and hold on, let go, and, you know, all the other stuff that we do to sinners that they don't have a clue what in the world it all means. And, and we, you know, go through all those Pentecostal calisthenics, you know, and give them the Holy Ghost massage and, you know. All, I mean, you know, all that stuff. Um, but after a while, after a while, you would see Brother Davis. He'd pick up the bottle of oil and he'd start that way. Now, he taught the church that oil is a symbol of the Holy Ghost. This is what he always taught. And really, you study the scripture, it really is. Oil symbolizes the Holy Ghost. Now, we've talked, we talked last week about how important symbols are to God. This is not a bottle of Holy Ghost, but it represents the Holy Ghost. And so he taught people, when I anoint you with oil, it's a symbol that the Spirit of God's about to touch you. So he'd pick this up. He'd start that way, and you could watch them all over the crowd. I'm telling you, they'd be poking one another just in case they weren't paying attention. Hey, hey, pastor's got the oil. He's got the oil. Something's about to happen. He's got the oil. We're about to see a miracle. He's got the oil. We're about to see somebody get the Holy Ghost. He's got the oil. I'm telling you, there was such faith in that church. Well, 
But he goes somewhere else and grabs the bottle of oil and everybody just look around and say, well, we've seen this before. Nothing happened last time I got the oil. Unbelief. And unbelief. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, church, it can be, it can be right here as great or greater than what I saw as a teenager back in Dallas, Texas. We can have the same thing happening right here if we'll get through this unbelief. God help me tonight. If somehow we can understand it's not just a weakness. It's not just a flaw. It's not just a fault. God, that's evil. And I want it out of my heart. I want to believe you. I want to trust you. I want to have faith in you. Oh, God. Oh, God. Hallelujah. Oh, church. You know, that's why I said when I, when I started out tonight before I ever opened my Bible, I said I really wasn't that far off the topic. I'm really not. I'm telling you, God is standing here today saying, what do you want, new life? Do you want miracles? Do you want healings? Do you want to see people filled with the Holy Ghost? What do you want? Well, Lord, we've been here for this long. We hadn't seen it. Lord, we prayed this and it didn't happen. We did this and it didn't happen. We fasted it. God doesn't care about all that. The question is, do you want it or don't you? If you want it, we got to get through the unbelief. we got to get past the unbelief. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Go to Hebrews chapter 4. This is not in my notes, but I'm not, I probably am not going to go any farther in my notes. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 4. Just start reading verse number 1. Hebrews chapter 4, starting with verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left, of, left us of entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of let, let Look, he said, let's be afraid. Let's fear. There needs to be a healthy respect about this whole thing, about not entering into the promises of God. Read. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. Because we've heard the same messages that others have heard. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed. But I'm going to tell you, those that didn't see the results, there's one problem and one problem only. It's not the word. Believe it or not, it's not even the preacher. You want to know what it is? It's faith. They didn't mix it with faith when they heard it. Read. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said. Uh -huh. As I have sworn in my wrath, if thou shalt enter into my rest, 
although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, uh -huh. he spake in a certain place of the seventh day of the, on this wise, and God did not rest, seven, rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because... All right. This is where I was hitting right here. Verse 6. This is what I wanted to find. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in. Why? Why? Let me tell you something, church. When you look back through the history of the Jews from the time that they actually before they left Egypt from the time that God called Moses and said I want you to lead them out they pulled a lot of terrible stunts. They fussed at Moses. They complained about Moses. They told him to shut his mouth. He was making things worse. They said we'd rather go back to bondage. We'd rather live in Egypt. They griped when they didn't have water. They griped when God gave them miracle bread every morning. And they didn't have meat. They complained that Moses really wasn't any better than the rest of them. They brought, they brought pagan women in and committed fornication at the very gate of the house of God. They did some terrible stuff. But do you know why they didn't go into the promised land? Wasn't because of any of those other things they did. The Bible says they entered not in because they didn't believe it. I'm telling you that in spite of everything they did during those 40 years, if they would have believed God, they would have entered. Do you know, it all goes back to the one time that they sent the spies over. And ten of them came back and said, we cannot do it. And two said, oh yes, we can. God's going to help us. And so who went in? The two that believed. And who didn't go in? The multitudes that did not believe. Because it wasn't just the ten. The rest of that group bought into the unbelief. And I'm telling you, there was nothing else they did. There was no other sin they committed. There was nothing else they were guilty of that kept them out of the promised land. Except one thing. Unbelief. And there was only one thing that guaranteed entrance to Joshua and Caleb. And that was the fact that they were not consumed with unbelief. They said, we are well able to possess it. Let us go up at once. Let's go right now. God's on our side. God said it's ours. There aren't enough giants. There aren't enough animals. There aren't enough heathen. There aren't enough pagans. There's nothing on the other side that's bigger than our God. He said it was ours. We believe it. Let's stand tonight. There's a lot here. I'm, 
There's one final verse, the very last verse there. I want you to go to that one. I'm going to skip over all the rest. Musicians, come. This verse of scripture comes to us from the book of Luke, chapter 12, verse 32. Here's what it says. Should be the very last one on, page, on the last page. Fear not, little flock. Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's for good pleasure. It is your father's. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It is your father's. It is your father's. Good pleasure. It's your father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. Does God want to give us revival in this city? Do you think God gets glory out of us struggling service after service? Does God get glory out of this? Don't you think God would get a whole lot more glory if somebody was going to pray through tonight and somebody would pray through Sunday morning and somebody else on Sunday night? Don't you think God would get a lot more glory out of that? Does God get any glory out of us walking in sick and walking out sick? Walking in with problems and walking out with the same problem. How much glory is God getting out of all of that? But what would happen if all of a sudden we, you came in here and this became a miracle center? What do you think would happen around here? It, it, it's not about me. But what would happen, Brother Merriman, if every time I picked up this bottle, there was an attitude in this church? Not just saying the words, but those people believed it. Something's about to happen. Pastor's got the oil. Something's about to happen. You better look out, devil. Something's about to take place. What would happen if we came down here to the front and as soon as you felt that oil on your forehead, you said, that's it, devil. You're gone now. I got my victory. I got my answer. That's all I needed. I'm telling you that if we could eradicate unbelief, if we could drive it out of this church, there would not be room in this building to contain the people. Some of you either aren't listening or don't believe that. But I rebuke your old evil unbelief. Because that's what it is. It's evil. It's evil. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, what would happen? Really, what would happen? What would happen? If every service we saw a healing. And every service we saw a miracle. Every service we saw somebody get the Holy Ghost. What would happen? Do you 
think I'd have to beg you to go tell somebody? Do you think I'd have to beg you to invite somebody to church? I'm telling you, you wouldn't be able to pump gas without looking across to the guy on the other side of the tank saying, hey, hey, let me tell you what's going on at my church. Well, I don't believe in all that stuff. Well, honey, you may not believe in it. You just come see for yourself. That's what happened at Azusa Street. It was miracle after miracle after miracle after infilling after infilling after infilling. They couldn't keep it quiet. The newspapers got a hold of it. The media began to broadcast it. I'm telling you, something happened there. And you know why it was? Because they got rid of their unbelief. I'm going to make a statement tonight. There is one thing, one thing that stands between us and revival. And honestly, I've wrestled with this. In fact, I've, I've had these conversations with my wife, with other preachers. I said, you know, because in the past, I've even said this to this church. We've been right at the brink of a breakthrough. And people get to fussing and fighting. And everything locks up and revival's over with and we lose it all and we have to dig and pray and fight and fast and get it back to where it was before it takes a long time to do it and then as soon as we're ready for a breakthrough the whole cycle starts all over again so the question has been well what, how are you ever going to just get rid of all of that and how are you ever going to, to i mean do, do you have to have a perfect church to see it you know i've got the answer to that question no we don't have to have a perfect church. Those have not really been the problems. We've gotten distracted by those situations. But what has kept us from entering in is the same thing that kept them from entering in. It's our unbelief. Now, I'm telling you, we get rid of our unbelief. We may still have some fussing and fighting. We may still have some things we need to deal with. We may still have some issues we got to take care of. But if we get rid of our unbelief, hell can't stop us because nothing is impossible to him that believeth. It didn't say him that's perfect. It didn't say him that has no fussing and fighting. It said him that believeth. Jesus said, nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith on the earth? I understand why he was worried about it. We have such a struggle. Just believe in God. But it's because we've accepted unbelief. We've written it off as just a flaw, just a fault, just something I struggle with. No, honey, it's evil. And you've got to pray through it. And you've got to get rid of it. And you've got to repent of it. God, forgive me. God, I will be the first. 
and I'll say it publicly right here in front of the whole church forgive me God for every ounce of unbelief that's in my heart take it away from me God I don't want to doubt you in any way I want to believe you completely I want to believe you entirely God Lord I'm praying this prayer with a sincere heart rid me of unbelief take it out of me God change me God I don't want to have doubt in my life I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I've seen, I've seen ranked sinners that had no intention whatsoever of living for God get absolute phenomenal miracles and it was real and it was God. You say that's not Bible. It is Bible. There was a Syrophoenician woman. She had no right to it, but she got it. I met a man years ago, was in one of those services with my pastor when healing was there. He had one leg shorter than the other by several inches, had to wear a leg brace came down for prayer, walked in off the street, a man bound by drugs and all kinds of immorality, walked into that service, came down to the front. Brother Davis prayed for him. They pulled the brace off. His leg grew right in front of the whole church. They saw it happen. He gave the brace to Brother Davis. Brother Davis kept that brace. and I guess Sister Davis still has it today, but it used to hang on the wall in Brother Davis's office. I met that man several years later. He had just gotten out of prison again. He never lived for God, had no intention of living for God, but he walked in that service and he believed. And there were good, precious saints that have lived faithful lives sitting on the pews that went home sick in the very same service. Why? Unbelief. Unbelief unbelief oh church I hope that you mark unbelief at the top of the list of sins and say God I don't ever want to be guilty of that sin I don't ever want to be guilty of that evil don't let me doubt you Is there anybody tonight that'd like to pray? Is there anybody tonight that would like to ask God to take the unbelief out of your heart? I'm telling you, it's time to believe God. It's time to start seeing the miraculous. It's time to start seeing God answer our prayers. Save lost souls. Grant revival. Give us an outpouring. It's time to see our prayers answered. God, take, take the unbelief.